Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. It is my distinct privilege to invite back the resident Anglican priest of the pod and keeper of the calendar, uh, the right reverend, uh, Hayden Butler. Hayden, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be here, David. Thanks. Now, it's always a great excuse to have you on the podcast to talk about the Christian calendar mm-hmm. because, of course, your tradition of high Anglicanism is steeped in, guided by the calendar in ways that those of us in the Protestant lowlands <laughs> are often jealous of uh, but want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. And when we hear you talk about things like Christian sense of time um, or the other reflections we've had even in uh, previous seasons, um, I always hear really rich feedback from people who sort of ache to know more and uh, and long to find ways of observing the calendar, incorporating the calendar in their lives or in the rhythms of their family life, and to think that it's accessible to them regardless of what church they may attend, just as Christians, that it's a uh, an inheritance we share. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just had a, a, a lot of traction with people um, of various backgrounds that I've just been really encouraged by and it's made it all the more interesting to to continue to key up moments of the calendar that can help us think about these things in deep rich ways um and so maybe as we are uh, going to be talking about lent for this episode of the podcast um maybe you can situate us in where we are in the christian calendar um where have we recently been where are we heading to next and how do we understand lent as christians uh, often sort of harried by a different sense of time no it, it's it's a great question i, I think it, it draws on things that you and i have talked about in in sessions prior but uh, so where we're at right now is we're in a season called pre-lent um and so it's you know takes it's it's by definition this thing that's leading us to lent which begins as of this recording uh next wednesday uh, march 2nd this year as when the lenten fast begins so uh, where we are in the Christian calendar is always uh, always has to begin, I think, with a with a question of where are we in relation to Easter. Uh, Easter, as we as you and I have discussed before, is is the center, the beginning, and the end of time for the Christian. It is the most important day that has ever been, and it is the day that gives us uh, whose events give us our foundational identity as Christians, the day of resurrection, the day of the Lord's resurrection. All time leading up to it is sort of pulled into it, and all time after it is reflective upon it and is drawn back to it continually. Um, you know, sometimes we think that, of history as, you know, sort of progressing towards some some sort of great, uh, you know, utopian future. Uh, we have to remember that the, the end of all time has already happened. Mm. It happened on the day of the resurrection. The resurrection and the life um, were made manifest in the Lord on that day, um, and all things are tending toward it, even things that happened after it. And so um, all of our life is defined by that. And so when we're asking where we are in, Christ, in, 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 in time, um, it's always a good idea saying, where are we in relation to Easter? And, and in the sort of the, the, the progression of time through the Christian calendar right now, um, we're approaching Easter. You know, Easter is going to be, I think, April 17th this year. 
Um, and so the Lenten fast is a season of preparation um, and uh, uh, that that gives way to Easter. And so, um, and really, you could kind of look at uh, the you could kind of look at these two uh, events, Easter and Lent, um, as these kind of mirrored seasons in the in the ancient Christian calendar. Um, you know, pretty early on in the church's history, Easter became not just a day but a season, mm. um, and it was a season that. Uh, that took place over 40 days, just like Lent does. And so Lent was 40 days, that gives way to Easter, which is 40 days, and these two things sort of stand uh, next to each other, and they really give a kind of inflection to the rest of the year, uh, the rest of the year being sort of feast days and fast days um, that are that that take up most of the days of the calendar, uh, and but like all feasting takes its meaning from Easter, and all fasting sort of takes its meaning from Lent, and so Lent is this really important season. Anciently, it's called the Great Fast. Um, because it's this, it's it's the fast of fasts. It's mm. like, it's it's the thing from which fasting t- sort of takes its meaning and purpose. So when we, as we enter Lent, we're entering this sort of this season that is meant to sort of uh, build uh, build a sense of of why we fast, um, to what end we fast, um, which then is is held, uh, it, it sort of holds hands with the Easter season that that follows it, which gives us the, the sort of the other half of the Christian life as we experience it now. What's interesting about fasting or, or the fast, right? Maybe we could talk about this a little bit. In much of my experience, and probably many, at least Protestant sort of evangelical background folks, fasting is a, a spiritual discipline, mm-hmm. usually done privately, sometimes done corporately or the church at the beginning of the year, or if there's like a, a building campaign or there's some need or something that we're going to have a, a couple weeks of fasting or we're going to have a week of fasting or, or something like this. But a lot of times it's usually thought of as sort of private, um, independent maybe. Um, you fast to sort of enter into places of the Lord because of just maybe going through something really challenging or deep personal need. Um, and, and then we, we think of texts where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like, don't let other people like know that you're fasting or see that you're fasting, you know, don't look sallow and sad, you know, um, like it, it seems to encourage the idea that it it is a, a private thing done uh, maybe occasionally um, at the behest of circumstance or something else. Can you tell us why it's helpful to um, approach the fast as part of the broader Christian community or the broader Christian calendar, that this is a, a shared season, as you say, it isn't just sort of a day, um, and it isn't private, um, and yet, and yet it, it is to be marked by sort of a... Um, a not sort of conspicuous, you know, like uh, <laughs> beleaguered. Look at how spiritual I am, right? <laughs> as Jesus uh, says. But um, but for those of us who grew up thinking of fasting as as something very individual, mm-hmm. um, what is the value of observing Lent or a Lenten season of, of the fast, the Great Fast, as the Church global or as the Church more broadly conceived? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's that's a that's a great question, um, and and a lot of times fasting, you know, we we miss out on the real sort of the goodness of fasting because we try to turn it into an individual exercise, and when really it belongs to a kind of communal 
um, a, a communal reality, the, the communal reality of the body of Christ. Um, so uh, as we approach uh, as we approach Easter, we, we think about you know what are we what are we doing when we are fasting? Um, the point of having a fasting season that's sort of defined on a common calendar and and defined sort of liturgically um, in common is that um, it's a time when everybody is called to fast. Um, this has a couple of practical benefits because it's you know if left to our own devices, <laughs> some of us would 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 most of us would never fast, and some of us would fast in like sort of toxically excessive ways, mm. um, which also happens. Um, and so uh, the the fast uh, being a defined season of time has the first the co- communal benefit of calling us all to a kind of common uh, a rule together, a common pattern of life. Um, that we hold in common, and 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 it becomes a point of commonality and communion with each other um, as we do that. Um, and so it, it helps to sort of cut against some of the things that Jesus is exhorting us against in the Sermon on the Mount with fasting, which is creating a kind of, um, you know, sort of spiritual elitism or a sort of a conspicuous um, a, a sort of conspicuous and performative um, devotion. Um, the, the the what it does is it it makes common. It makes it makes it ordinary, um, which means that everybody is called to it in some way. And so and and so it it ceases to be the expression of a kind of you know sort of a flexing, uh, mm-hmm. a spiritual mm-hmm. flexing. But uh, in in terms of the calendar, Lent is seen as a season of preparation, um, right. a season which and and also a season of revelation. Um, you know, we see the, in the context, we have to remember the calendar, uh, the Christian calendar is basically like living um, as though the gospel were your calendar. Uh, and so when we're, when we're, we're sort of walking through the calendar, we're really walking through the ministry, the ministry and the work of Christ, uh, the mission of Christ in his earthly ministry. And so as we are approaching Lent, we are really meditating on, on first and foremost, the, the preparation of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting and praying, um, and then as a sort of preparatory campaign against the devil, against the world, and against the flesh. And so uh, Jesus, being the Son of God, um, goes out and in his des- and his sort of wilderness fasting um, is is it, you know the, the way I think the gospels presented as he's on a campaign he's he's going out to um, to 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 strike a blow against the great enemy of his brethren mm-hmm. um, and to reveal the nature of the humanity he comes to give us which is one that um, trusts fully that, that 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 feeds upon the word of the Lord that does not put the Lord his God to the test and that does not bow down and worship anyone but the Lord God that being his that 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 being the strong humanity um, that has been united to divinity that he comes to bring his wilderness fasting reveals that 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 is the gift that he uh, of the new life he comes to give is it's defined by those traits by those attributes and then and so and it's in contrasted of course historically with the 40 day the sort of the 40 years mm. of of uh, wilderness wandering of I- ancient Israel where they did the exact opposite right where they showed that their their sort of humanity had this kind of frailty that would give into the flesh that would give into like idolatry that would give into putting god to the test and 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 calling upon god in petty ways mm. 
And so you, you see the, 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 that's the kind of first contrast that we're called to meditate upon. But then as, as Christians, we're always called to participate in the life of Jesus. And so Lent leads us into a, a kind of a, a communion, not only with each other by, or by a common rule, but also a, a communion with our Lord um, as, as he is sort of, as, as, as he is in this, um, in this wilderness journey, um, and and which really will culminate ultimately on Good Friday on his way to the cross, where he again demonstrates the, his, the 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 perfection, the singleness of heart that devotes itself fully to God and offers a full offering of himself. And so, for us, uh, we are participating in that. We are we are first of all having revealed in us uh, how we're much more like ancient Israel than we are like our Lord. Right. But that the humanity that we have been given by Jesus, this new life we have been given in Jesus is the life that in its fruition does the things that Jesus does in the wilderness. It has, it, it resists the, de- it fights, the, it says no to the devil. It says no to the temptation, the, the temptation, the desire of the stomach. And it, ha- and it says no to, to testing God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it sort of, Lent is always this recurring time where we get to see well, you know, uh, see ourselves in the tension line between, you know, sort of what is revealed by the story of ancient Israel and what is revealed in the, in the character and nature of our Lord. I love uh, that in particular because so often in Christian experience, or at least in the Christian um, sort of uh, abbreviation of the gospel, um, we can often imagine sort of Jesus enters the world at Christmas and then leaps to the cross, right, and <laughs> yeah. then and then is raised for for our salvation, and and the shape of his life and uh, and even the ministry um, that he had can be lost as a footnote to, in some traditions, why we can't be anything like him Mm -hmm. and should never try. Um, But the idea that we enter into seasons during the year to participate in the shape of his earthly life, right? That that he set a course for us, um, that he enables us by the power of his spirit to actually, let's say, recapitulate or or re-enter um, themes and 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 songs we are meant to learn how to sing better, um, but that we would actually have moments in our in our year and seasons in our year in which we are being drawn into the the shape of his of his life and not just um, the occasional or private sort of reflection on the meaning of his death. Right. Right. That there is a preparation to even consider that or to understand. Um, the power of, of of Easter and the power of the resurrection as the as the pivot of all uh, history and existence uh, that we would enter into his his life seems like a, a really rich thing to be in communion with him and then as you say in communion with one another the accountability both to sort of self awareness you know that we are <laughs> we are more Israel than we are um, its savior uh, but then the invitation to enter into his redemption of that right. story, even in our own stories. Um, so, so much of that, and especially that it's not just a singular day, but that it's a season and it's a time, um, seems like something that is, is worth uh, Christians being able to be drawn into uh, and not be nervous about, but to be drawn into as sort of extended period of self-reflection. Something we've talked about in the past when you've talked about the, the calendar and the Christian sense of time 
in particular, living in, let's say, Southern California, where we do, where the seasonality of life <laughs> is often obliterated by yeah. a perpetual sunshine, yeah. you know, which is why a lot of people love it here. Um, but it can be hard to have distinct uh, shifts or changes even in our own hearts. It can be tiresome to have sort of this banal glow of sameness across days, weeks, months, you know, um, of the year, and that there is something poignant and also maybe life-giving about having a seasonality that is not dependent on whether or not it gets cold um, or it snows or whatever, um, but that is dependent on the shape of the life of God that uh, we are being drawn into and can still observe uh, even if we don't have the obvious sort of shifts of the natural world around us in ways um, maybe we would like or, or that have helped people to sort of think differently at different times of the year. Yeah. Um, so, so as a compelling, imaginative, seasonal sort of marker of, of life and the acknowledgement that life is varied, as you say, that we are, we are as aware of our deficiencies as we are of this incredible invitation to glory. Um, so do you find that this is lost with people just saying, I'm going to give up chocolate? Or do you find that, <laughs> do you find that um, in your experience that it has been um, livable in those rich, deep ways that people have been able to make the connections between maybe what seems a perfunctory observance of, you know, giving up something here or there? Um, do, you, do you find that you have to sort of make sure the, the narrative is continually told so that we don't slip into just the habits of whatever and sort of uh, reducing it to what I'm not doing right now? Right. Um, how do you find it just when it kind of hits the ground of your, your, your parish, your, your congregation, um, that people, you know, are, are either drawn into it or have trouble staying in it? What do you think about yeah. the practical side of that? I think, you know, it it's helpful to remember that Lent, like any gesture or any discipline of, of sort of Christian practice, um, means nothing unless it contributes to growth in love. Um, you know, and this is reflected in the, in the, the local practice of Lent when it is done well. Now, it, it, that's unpacked in a few ways. Um, so we we begin the we end the pre Lenten season, which ends this Sunday, um, with with a, re, a reading in church on Sunday of First uh, Corinthians thirteen. That's a, one of our readings this Sunday, which is which talks about you know these great you know sort of her, sort of every sort of uh, metric of Christian progress is meaning is rendered meaningless if it is not <laughs> uh, if if one right. does not love. And of course, the love that Paul is talking about is the one we've talked about before, caritas, agape, the love of God, the love that is the gift of God. Without that, all these uh, you know, you know, motions of devotion, all these, all these great advances in theological understanding, all these great acts of, of you know, benevolent service to people, they are rendered meaningless without that. That is the soul of all Christian practice, and any meaningful uh, growth, any, any meaningful, like any, any meaning to be attributed to any Christian practice has to be measured in those terms. Am I growing in love for God? Am I growing in love for the brethren? and even for my enemies. And so uh, Lent, I think we first see it that way, um, and we, when it helps us to orient at least in the right direction. It gives us a kind of star to navigate by. 
So in, in pr local practice, as that trickles down, um, there's two things that having this as a recurring season of the Christian year it, it has a benefit for us. One is it gives us the, uh, the sense that this is not one uh, sort of compulsive thrusting of ourselves in the in the direction of pious devotion uh, to be done once and then never repeated. Um, this is a season, which means that you know, which means that each year we get forty days to realize that what I heroically try to begin on day one gets really hard by day ten, <laughs> feels annoying by day twenty, uh, feels despondent on day thirty, and then uh, and and then you know becomes even almost unimaginable on day forty, <laughs> um, and then and and and, re and realizing that seasons are kind of more of what what the what the scriptures have in mind in terms of of horizons of growth. In anything and horizons of meaningful progress and anything, but then uh, each the, as the seasons we go through those seasons year to year, um, it draws out another horizon of growth in us, which realizes that makes us realize that movements of soul um, uh, take place in sometimes real movements of soul take place in small. Um, almost imperceptible ways that are only manifest usually for, for most of us, I should say, are only manifested over the course of years. Um, and so having Lent one year, it's going to be like, wow, that was a really intense experience. You may not realize until like your sixth or seventh Lent what Lent actually is, is going to be doing with you over the long haul. Um, so it, the first couple of Lents are doing exactly what you say. It's like, all right, this year I'm giving up chocolate. I eat a lot of chocolate. I need to give up chocolate. Okay, that that's great. Let's 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 do that. Let's see what happens to you when you don't go to this thing <laughs> you really enjoy doing. That's a good. That's a you know a, a neutral slash good thing to do, but that you sort of lean on as a crutch. Um, the first question is yeah yeah like what what seem to be your sort of impulsive uh, like excesses in life. All right, great. Let's let's start there. So we do that for a while, and then we get less lame at doing Lent over the first few Lents, right? Mm -hmm. The first Lent is like, I'm just obsessing about the fact that chocolate is not in my life mm -hmm. every day, like I want it to be. Great. That may be the first three Lents of just like struggling, like to, to get over the kind of the, the discomfort and, the, and our sort of, uh, our, our sort of improficiency, our, our lack of skill at doing this. The real stuff begins after that, I think, which is after we've sort of realized what our things are, we just, we, and after we've sort of been practicing a fasting from those from for a few years, we start to realize and get, what gets drawn out is the things that those things were covering up. Mm. And that's where Lent really begins. So you got to start out by doing Lent in a kind of lame way. Yeah. All of us do. Um, you start off by doing Lent just as a kind of gritting my teeth and and being distracted by my own discomfort for the maybe the first two or three of them. And then we start to be able to think about things beyond the distraction of our discomfort. We'd be able to start we start being able to see, okay, I did, it wasn't really about the chocolate. It was actually like like chocolate was this symbolic kind of stand-in for this other thing that's actually going on deeper down that I never would have had the opportunity to see had mm -hmm. I not said no for a little while to the chocolate. Um, but I had to say no in really uh, lame, faltering, um, and imperfect ways for a few years even before I, before I was able to even begin to see those other things. Mm. What's interesting, because the first day of Lent is Ash Wednesday, mm -hmm. and, um, and so in some sense, it seems like Lent is a it's an observance of sort of grief yeah. or loss. Um, but 
first we would have to sort of surface or uncover those losses. Right. It's it, we begin. Lent is defined by death on both ends. Lent kind of be, Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, where we're reminded of the mortal condition that is the consequence of sin that we all partake of. Um, Christians, uh, humanity has a death problem that takes a million different forms, and and we're rem- we have to be reminded of that because we maybe more than anything else we desperately want to forget that all the time. And so there's one day, at least one day a year, where we go, uh, we gather with our people, and then are collectively told, you're all going to die. And we just sit with that. We don't try it. We don't put any sort of gloss on that because it's an unadorned kind of naked reality for us. Now, over the course of Lent, we realize we have not been left uh, orphaned to that condition that this is the very thing the Lord came to defeat in us. And so, and as, and Lent culminates, of course, on Good Friday, where the Lord, by his own death, tramples down death and begins to destroy death within us, which is perfected in the resurrection. Uh, and, in, in the, in the, and as we will partake of the resurrection, the Lord's resurrection, uh, you know, death will be defeated in us in all its forms. Um, but, you know, if, again, when we get to Easter, we, we get this great, the, the, the unthinkably good solution, but we have to sit with the problem mm-hmm. for a bit too. And, and like you said, it, it, it really confronts the, the kind of the, the bitterness of the grief that attends the fact that there is nothing about our lives that death doesn't touch. And we have not known really in any way, we have not known life as it is meant to be lived. Even our sort of happinesses. Um, are inflected by that death, and so, and and we and we have to we brought we're brought about around to be reminded of this because this again <laughs> maybe among among all things is the thing humanity desperately tries to solve for itself and tries to forget constantly. It's so interesting. We've talked about this before, but you know, sort of coming out of a um, inflected moment of COVID. Um, COVID is not over, even mm-hmm. though yeah. uh, many imagine or hope uh, it is um, but but the last couple of years of dealing with this is something that we've talked about before it's very difficult for people to deal with and it strikes me that even the clumsy like you say the lame Lenten things are also the things that we impulsively go to rather than right. grieving right <laughs> rather than recognizing the the depth of something and so even at a society-wide level right like we're all pretty sure things are going to be okay if the economy is doing well and if money is flowing again and if we are buying again and and even if in the not re- far rearview mirror um are sort of unspeakable sort of tolls and tragic losses even in our our recent history it, it is incredible how how willing we are to find clumsy, lame ways to distract ourselves from death. Um, and and that we, it almost is like a, we're all complicit. It was like this like wink nod. Like we all know better, I think. Right. And nobody right. wants to know better. So we don't know better, right? Like um, if you don't observe it in your life, if you don't actually practice it, um, that knowledge becomes just another thing passing by. Uh, and so it, it's a really interesting time, it seems, to maybe engage with the Lenten season 
especially if it's for the first time in a serious way, because those realities have been thrust into our life in ways that nobody wanted and nobody has been able, I mean, without some real mental gymnastics maybe to avoid or escape. And, and this is a way of, of looking at, at that and saying, this is what it always has been, right? That this, this extraordinary moment is only extraordinary in our experience of a moment like this. But the reality of death and, and the way in which our lives and our world is bound to death um, is precisely why we needed Christ <laughs> to, right. to save us. Well, that, that's right. We, you know, we, like, again, Lent and Easter, the whole Christian calendar is all about revelation. It's all about revealing the, the, the deepest truth about human life and how God comes to redeem it. Uh, Good Friday which is the the sort of the, the the pinnacle of of the Lenten season? It is it's the the, the crescendo of it reveals uh, where everyone stands in relation to God and one another. You know when you know we we like to think that you know if God were to come among us, you know we would you know, we like oh well if he were to show up I would I would definitely respond to him. So we find out what happens when God comes among us. We punch him in the face and we nail him to a cross. Um, we find out, you know, on Good Friday um, that the world doesn't want to be well. Jesus asks that of a number of people in the Gospels, right? Do you want to be well? And but the the answer, the answer, you know, we like to think, of course, I, of course, I want to be well. Of course, I, who want, who would want to be well? But we don't. Um, and you know, you know, it's been commented before that on Good Friday, the world essentially commits suicide because it puts to death the life of the world, the one who is the life of the world. And we'll never escape that. The world effectively died on Good Friday and is now just kind of writing out the implications of that. There is nothing that can change what happened on Good Friday. It is only, as the apostles teach us, by being by, by participating in the crucifixion of Jesus, by participating in his death, that we participate in new life, in the life of the resurrection. There is no other way. And, and yet, like you said, you know, we, we pretend all the time we can. And unfortunately, Christians are maybe among the foremost, you know, leaders of that kind of a thing because we make the, we make the, 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 the sort of the, we, we teach incorrectly that because of the work of Christ that we don't have to think about death anymore. And, you know, death, you know, is no big deal. And, you know, it's, it's not even worth, you know, paying attention to or reflecting on or grieving or lamenting. And with the trickle down effect of that is, is that we 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 lose all sort of the all the vocabulary for for describing the experience of of feeling death within us and knowing that we're dying and knowing that the world around us is dying, um, and so we instead of you know reacquiring the right vocabulary to describe that experience, we just live in a kind of willful dissonance that we then pass off to one another and almost require of one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I have both seen, I think, pastorally in the, in the pandemic, there has been, even a, maybe even especially among Christian circles, a willful refusal to mourn that the world as we knew it came to an end um, and that it's probably not coming back how it was. Whatever the next thing is will be the next thing, but something ended. There was a real, a, real, a real ending, and a lot of our ways of life were, they stopped being what they were. Our familiars were, 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 were disrupted in maybe irretrievable ways. Mm-hmm. And 
I noticed among my my sort of Christ, the Christian communities a, a, a very a very stodgy resistance to say, right, things die, things end. Um, let's let's offer a lament, like the people of God always have in their better moments when mm. these sorts of things happened. And it's it's because there is this. If you do that, and you don't know what's next, many people don't know what to do. Yeah, right. That it's like, oftentimes, people will only grieve if that is even what it is, when there is the next thing that they have identified and can move into immediately. Right. Right. Like you can't be like, well, now we wait to see what God will do. It, it just feels terrifying, I think, to, to people to be confronted with loss without the, the happy replacement or without seeing clearly enough what is the next thing, right? We're so used to, we talked about this when we talked about Christian sense of time, we're so used to a way of life in which there is always more next, now, any second of our life is packed with things and stuff and obligations and commitments and desires to be able to sit in a moment of, of silent nothing to be able to sit in a moment um, of even lament of a rich observance of the realities of sin and death is also to not be distracted by what is new. And, and we're so accustomed to that in our thoughts and habits and practices and the way we've scheduled our lives that it just it seems to open a chasm that that is terrifying i think to people um well what am i to be if i'm not that or what are we going to do if not that and the the waiting and this is why i think it's so important that lent is a season and not a day Right, we could make a day. Yeah, <laughs> like sometimes <laughs> you can grit your teeth through a day. Yeah, so like we can make you know, like yeah. if we haven't been observing it, we could make a Good Friday service. Yeah, and for maybe an hour or so, you know, end a service in silence or in darkness. Right, and be like, wow. Um, but even then, you know, it, it's yeah. it, it can be hard even to observe good friday on as a day right as an evening right um you know it's a hard service to make it's a, you have to leave work early maybe like if to to even like observe it with right. brothers and sisters um and then what do you do after that well i don't know i guess we get we get dinner but like do we get get it sadly like <laughs> even the apostles had a hard time with that question it's like what do we do now it's like i, I guess you know we go back I to the room we go back we go back, we go back to the thing the last thing we knew right which is, and we lock the door. And we wait. And we wait. And, and, and hope they don't come for us next, I guess, is, is, you know, is, is also in there. One of the, the places that the Lord led our church uh, on Sundays uh, over this last year um, was, you know, First and Second Thessalonians. Um, Pastor John teaching through those, those texts and the recurring theme was, we wait for the Lord. Yeah. Like that's what it means to be a Christian is a vigilant waiting for the return of Christ. And it it's incredible when you reflect on our moment um everything that would keep us from thinking that's the goal of the Christian life to vigilantly wait for the Lord. 
was taken away you know was 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 either laid bare or was ended or or died or or what have you and and the idea that you can actively wait that you can meaningfully wait um, is just such a challenge to our uh, market economy to you know everything our life is like ordered by Um, but it was so profound to us especially as a community that has had to wait to gather together wait to enjoy communion together wait longer than most of the people we know around us to to be together as a fellowship as a community of faith it was like profound to think that this wasn't just this awful, weird anomaly that we were having to go through because of our small size or lack of, of building or lack of money or whatever, right? That we weren't crippled by having to, to wait in so many obvious ways that it was an invitation to learn that this is what the Lord has always asked of us as Christians. Um, but we were often too distracted or not not interested in right. in having in entering that and actually believing that or sitting in that um this idea of of observing loss in order to observe life right um you've often said uh even on campus um as an encouragement to brothers and sisters around you as well um you know we keep the fast so we can keep the feast yeah. um can you unpack that a little bit yeah. more for us? Because I hear you say it when donuts show up in the, in the faculty lounge. <laughs> Always during Lent and every day. Lent, <laughs> and every day of Lent. And, uh, and unless I've committed to something early, I mean, right. when I see those donuts, I'm like, Whew. and then you and maybe Laura, somebody a little bit more on point, will walk past and genuinely walk past the donuts and I'll be like, <laughs> okay, yeah, something else is happening here. And, and I'll hear those words like in my mind. I'll hear you like you say, like, we observe the fast so we can observe the feast. No, that that's right. Uh, you know, and, and I'm right there with you, you know, like you know me, like if it's if it's a if it's epiphany or it's a Christmas tide, like like oh, those you're donuts so show good up, at making I'm there. wonderful, sweet things. <laughs> yeah, to, I'm to the eat. pusher during so those seasons. Yeah, you... <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a thing. No, but it's it changes it changes our, our pattern. So 40 days. Um, is a pattern setting. Yeah. Um, it, it, scripturally, this is true. Uh, Forty days are they? Esta- it always is used as a as a as a sort of numeric device to establish a new pattern, a shift in the pattern to mark it. Um, and so uh, and so for us. 40 days of Lent and 40 days of Easter are these is the really the center of the Christian year, the heart of the Christian calendar, um, because it builds within us this simultaneous pattern of fasting, of holding the fast and all that that fast represents, of acknowledging the reality of sin and death, of realizing I'm going to have to let go of everything in my life at some point. Either I will participate in that and do so in the freedom that, that, that is afforded to me by our Lord, or it will be pulled from my hand as I kick and scream and try to hold on to it in my last hour. Lent reminds us of that, says, look, you're going to die. There's nothing about your life that is going to remain the same. You're going to let go of every atom of it. So we begin to practice 
because that kind of a thing is a gnarly thing that mm. takes practice. Mm. But so, so is feasting. I mean, uh, like, a, you know, one of our, you know, one of our mutual authors, Christian Wyman points out, right, that like joy is something beyond any happiness that we've known and even re- and requires often the sacrifice of those more immediate happinesses in order to uh, attain to that, that the, to real joy, joy as the Lord knows it to be. Um, Easter is that kind of a joy. Um, and Easter cannot, will not ever allow itself to be replaced by, um, by, by approximate happinesses. It remains always what it is and calls us into it, which often means that we have to leave behind something in order to attain to it. Um, and so these two, these two things, these two realities, Lent and Easter, the fast and the feast and the reasons and all the things that are wrapped up in them, these together, um, when we, when we, hold one in each hand and hold them with an even hand. This is the neutral gear of the mature Christian life. Um, it, you know, the, the, our Orthodox brethren call Lent the season of bright sadness mm. because it acknowledges the reality of the sorrow we must have about death within us, but also acknowledges the joy that Christ is with us even there. As, as uh, St. John Chrysostom uh, preached in his Easter homily, he said, uh, death tried to swallow Christ and, was, and, then, and, then, and then met the Lord. You know, it, it thought it was taking a body and then met God, you know, <laughs> who, like, who overwhelmed death. And, um, and I, th- I think that's it, is, is, you know, there's the darkness of death, and then there is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Um, and so Lent and Easter together teach us to, as we practice them year over year, as we practice them together, as we practice them over a season, they build within us that neutral, that, that standard posture of the mature Christian, which is the bright sadness. It is neither, uh, it is neither a despair that right. we, might be, we might do if left to our own devices, right. neither is it a false optimism, Right. I think you know for for any of us we would we would tend towards one of those. There are some that you know would 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 tend towards the. It's always you know it's 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 always great. You know everything's always great. It's always everything is awesome. You know it's, it's like the resounding anthem. But then there's folks like you and me who have a little bit more of that native uh, that native <laughs> sorrow, um, and uh, and we might we might always see it as always winter and never Christmas, as yeah. always Lent and never Easter, right? right? And for, for, and so for all of us, there's something in this season, these 80 days, uh, that that restores us to the fullness of the Christian life. Mm. Um, and, and also, I will say, it restores us to that posture of, of what Jesus calls the blessed servant. The blessed servant, blessed is that servant, he says, who, who is found watching attentively when his master returns, right? Uh, and in that, that's the bright sadness, is standing on the rampart watching for the master by a single lamplight in the middle of the dead of night, knowing that he, the person you're waiting for is coming mm. and just hasn't got, hasn't returned yet, but waiting and keeping that lamp burning in the darkness, knowing that that'll be the light by which you welcome him home and you welcome into him into the home that you share. Mm. Like that's, that's the spirit of Lent right there is to be restored to that vigilance, to that eager expectation but also to wrap our arms, our hand around the the longing that we still feel to be what we were always meant to be. Hmm. We've talked about this um, from the perspective of the church and sharing this with the 
the the family of God. What does it look like as we're sort of sort of wrapping um, this reflection up a little bit? What does it look like when it travels into your home? Yeah. Um, what are the rhythms or what are the practices that your family that um, you've engaged with in maybe both the Lenten and the and the Easter season that have helped sort of make an atmosphere of something that you know, we spend most of our time at home, not at church, right? As, as yeah. far as, you know, where we are or where our bodies are, where most of our patterns and our rhythms are. Um, and so what does this look like when it travels into your home? Yeah. Uh, so as it, pra- as, as we, it sort of trickles down to the practical level, um, Lent is about being restored to a, a kind of temperance, to a kind of generosity and to a, gr- a growth in prayer, a prayerfulness. And so, really, those are the those are the the, the goals for for any anyone's individual uh, rule or or pattern during Lent. Um, and so, I would say, uh, in well, in our home, what it is is uh, our our media use is the is the main thing. And I think it may be the main thing for anybody right now that's mm-hmm. listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been there are seasons and there are places where concern for food looms really large, and because of that. Um, it, you know, as our Lord says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's like, don't, do not be anxious for what you will eat or what you will drink. In, in many places, even now, like that's, that's the main concern each day is, is how am I going to get this? That, that doesn't tend to be our main concern by and large. There is still very much, you know, sort of um, like food instability. And I don't, I, and I acknowledge that, but for a lot of us, especially us listening to this pod right now, um, it's going to be probably our reliance and our and our dependence on noise on media on the news on social media on gaming on television on streaming on these things that we use to obscure uh those things that would otherwise become more present to us we we are we are a distracted people um and we and we need to allow the things that we are uh, that that want to come to the surface to come to the surface during the season so for in, in my family you know, we we radically curtail our you know our media intake. That includes phones. That includes television. For me, that also includes um, like like I love my music in the car on the commute, and during Lent we go silent. Like mm-hmm. I go silent in the car, and the and what happens is what you would expect to happen is I'm left alone with my own thoughts for that <laughs> entire space, and boy, are there some things to catch up on every single year. Mm. That's the first thing that that's that tends to be what fasting looks like. Now, of course, that also includes like all the luxury items, food-wise. In our house, we don't do desserts. We don't do we we you know, we do tr- keep away from excessive sugar, things like that. I you, we always throw the caveat in there with fasting um, when when I talk about it that you have to attend to the integrity of the body. Um, the body is not something to be beaten up or to be treated as a bad thing. And the and Christians are not, are never permitted to be careless with their bodies. And so, um, and so we have to attend to the, 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 the sort of the equilibrium of our health. Um, and for some people that means they have to have certain, like certain nutrients, sugars, proteins, these kinds of things in order to remain, have good body integrity. You should definitely do that. But generally simplicity is the goal. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, classically it's, it's eat a little less and eat and eat simpler, and and so that for most of us that cuts out the donuts in the break room and uh, and that cuts out those things um, and because they're you know while they're they're enjoyable you know again they're, they, it helps us to create space yeah then <clears throat> but that's kind of just the beginning we we sort of we, we we create space to be filled with something 
uh, you know, the spiritual life never tolerates a vacuum. And so, you know, when, and, and our Lenten lessons always focus on, uh, like the first half of the Le- of Lent, our Sunday readings are all about like exorcism, like the devil getting kicked out of places. But then, you know, the third lesson, the one that, that sort of is the pinnacle is, is the one where the devils leave a man. And Jesus says, but unless something fills that person, like more devils are going to come move in. And the last state of that man will be worse than the first. Like we, we have to be filled with good. We can't just be absent of evil. And so um, for us that, that, you know, in our practices, you know, we always look for a way to be generous. So in our home, you know, as it hits the home, that's going to look like hospitality. So that, it means asking the question as a family or even just as you living where you do, um, what, is a, what is one more door of hospitality I can open to someone? Um, and if you answer that question in some practical way and, and do hospitality for, some, for, for at least for one more person you might not otherwise have done, that's keeping a good Lent. Hmm. And so we, we fast in order to create um, a, a kind of clarity, a kind of space um, that we can then attend to these important questions. And, and when we, it's, it's, it'll be, you'll find it's amazing when you, when you clear out, when you clear out the distraction, it'll open, it'll open a sense for the people around you in a brand new way and say like, oh, wow, I can really extend the right hand of friendship to this person today. Hmm in a new way. I, I notice them more because I'm noticing this other thing less. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing people again. And ultimately, this restores us in prayerfulness. It should create space for us to attend to that very needful conversation we have in the interior life between us and God and communing with him there. We clear out space in the heart to welcome the Lord into it. Um, and that's really what Lent is all about, is it's, it's welcoming again Every single day of Lent, every minute of every single day of Lent is welcoming again the Lord into our heart and saying, Lord, come and dwell here. May I be that vigilant servant that awaits your coming such that when you knock on the door, I am here to greet you. Hmm. And it's, 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 it's living in, in every way, being disciplined. We, we establish that discipline so that uh, we, can, we, we establish a kind of stamina for that waiting, the hmm. stamina for that vigilant, expectant, adoring waiting. Hmm. For the Lord to return. That's beautiful. And and then maybe the question is, when you keep the feast, yeah. how do you do so in a way that doesn't obliterate what yeah. um, ground the Lord has gained or the, the, the room he's made, yeah. the space he's opened up? Is there is Do you observe the feast um, by doubling down on the things that he showed you during the fast? How does yeah, that no, work? Because you don't want it to just... You don't want to go ahead and get into a kind of binge purge Whee! cycle. Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't. And that can happen. Uh, and generally that happens to some extent. You know, we, we, it's sort of a rubber band snapping back into place for the first few times. The goal is, again, over years. Over, over years of practice, um, we carry both Lent and Easter with us always, such that in Lent, it is the bright sadness. Um, and maybe we might say there's a little bit of a sad brightness mm. even in our practice of the Easter feast because mm. our Easter feasting, as awesome as it as it is to celebrate the the resurrection of our Lord, it is it pales in comparison to the great wedding feast of the mm. Lamb at the end of all things. We're still right? waiting, yeah. And so, and we're yeah. still waiting for that. Yeah. And so, even our feasting, even our feasting now, will be a sort of s- sad brightness, whereas Lent might be the bright sadness. Um, and so we move kind of between those two postures in the, I think in, in sometimes in the same day, multiple times mm-hmm. from bright sadness to sad brightness, uh, depending on what is more emphasized. So in the Easter feast, we're still carrying with us some of the fast of Lent, just as in Lent, 
as we practice it and as we sort of submit to this in community, it's fun. It's this, this, there's this funny thing happens where like around day 30 or something, you'll be in a, you'll meet a midweek gathering and, you know, we'll be having some soup and a little, like a piece of bread <laughs> and it becomes this beautiful, mighty mm gathering of of souls like you just sort of like you just have this sense of like you know, we're, we're together mm. that's what matters here mm. and so even the like the like simple soup and a piece of bread and a glass of water that you have together whereas you might otherwise have a burger and fries and you know and something to sip on uh in 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 another season during lent like you come to you come to feel that bright sadness you, you have the feast in the fast mm. And so you say like, yeah, this is, this is, this is a feast because the Lord is here and we're together and we are, and we are his people. And, and we've been drawn together in a way that we would never would have chosen for ourselves. It's so much better than the thing we would have done for ourselves if left to ourselves. And similarly in Easter, we carry Lent with us in that and saying, oh, let's not tarnish the feast by making it an occasion for excess. Mm. Let us celebrate the beauty of good things made well. And, and keep it within that, that, that context, the story, right? Let us not forget the story that got us here, that we who journeyed vigilantly as pilgrims in the wilderness with our Lord are, are being invited in this way to sit at a table together knowing that there's more story yet ahead. This is but an icon of that thing. So may our feast today be like that thing, not bland one-dimensional revelry, but really a foretaste of the great wedding feast of the Lamb. And that's how Easter becomes not an occasion for a sort of like gluttonous binge, but, a, but really it's restore, feasting is restored to what it really is. It's restored not to a kind of bacchanalia, but to a kind of a, a, a sacramental symbol saying the best is yet to come, but the best is already a little bit here. Mm, that's beautiful. Hayden, thank you as always for, for sort of hooking us back into um, the rhythms of the church calendar. And I'm excited that this will come out in time for people to consider Lent maybe anew or be encouraged even by the long view that you keep reminding us to take years um, yeah. and, and that it, it isn't about the chocolate, but it's about these deep, <laughs> rich, beautiful things. And, yeah. and I think that anyone sort of, you know, with ears to hear can just feel the heart being stirred by by both of these seasons and in a way that you would you would look forward to and you would be excited that we as the people of God have been given things like this to to enjoy and to share with one another and with the Lord um, so so thank you for for telling us of the the bright sadness and the sad brightness um, really looking forward to seeing how people are able to bring this uh, home this season that's our time my friends if you would like to support the podcast please do subscribe and rate us on itunes and if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast head on over to from babylonwithlove.com click on newsletter and sign up there until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns, and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon with Love.